Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Here's the title of our message today as we dig in. The message is entitled, Unity Resonates. Say that word with me. Resonates. Any, anybody bilingual in here today? You speak more than, 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 than one language. Any? Como se va? All right. A few of you. A few of you. Uh, any Spanish speakers? Como estas? Um, yeah. Como estas? Yeah. You know, I'm not. Uh, um, I tried um, often. And uh, growing up in West Texas, Spanish was very prevalent all around. And uh, you'd think growing up, some of my best friends spoke Spanish, being in their homes, all that, all the Mexican food I've eaten. Um, you'd think I'd pick up a little more Spanish than I had. I know just enough Spanish not to get lost and just enough not to starve. I can, I can order my food in Spanish. Um, if they start asking me questions about that beyond there, I got to, the game's up. I got to tell, I, I, I just... I know the words. You know, it's funny. I took three years of Spanish in high school, and to this day, I know just enough Spanish to get into a fight, but not enough to get out of a fight. You know what I'm talking about? Are you guys there? And, and there's, there's, how come I remember all the cuss words? That, that's the thing I can't, I can't figure out. I just, I, I can, yeah, we'll just leave it, we'll leave it right there. But I've always been super impressed by people who can know multiple languages. Anybody else? Just multiple languages. I can't. I came across this, this article. This was a job posting for a United Nations language interpreter. United Nations language interpreter. Here's, and I'm going to quote this for you. It says, interpreters working at the UN are expected to recognize, understand, and get this, in a split second, have a word in another language for any one of a myriad of issues. The range of interpretation subjects is broad, including politics, legal affairs, economic and social issues, human rights, finances, administration. I didn't see anything in here about ordering food or finding out where the restroom is. I'm out. I can't, I can't do it. Here's what they say. They say interpreters provide simultaneous interpretation from and into the six official languages for the meetings of the general, six official languages for the General Assembly, the Security Council, and the Economic and Social Council, and all of their subsidiary bodies. And here was the cool part. A team for a six-language meeting requires 14 interpreters. Three per booth for Arabic and Chinese, um, because they interpret to and from those languages, and two apiece for English, French, Russian, and Spanish. And here's some of the requirements for those of you that are still interested in applying for the UN at this point. Language requirements. Perfect command of one official language of the United Nations. English, French, Russian, or Spanish interpreters must also possess excellent oral comprehension of two other official languages. Arabic or Chinese interpreters must also possess excellent command of English or French as required. How many of you are still working on English? Be honest. We know. We, we, we know. 
You can imagine how much a bad translation can complicate things. A bad translation can mess you up. It can start stuff that you can't unwind. A bad translation is a big problem. Nowadays, they've even actually put apps on your phone that not only can you type in or you can speak to, did you know that there's an app you can actually show a sign and it will translate that in real time on your screen? It, it, it'll, it'll do that for you. It's not always 100% accurate, um, but it, it, it will. But a bad translation can really mess you up. I brought a few of them. Y'all got time for me to show you some bad, some bad translations? Uh, here's, here's the first one um, that, that we see here. When on the boat, please wearing airbags. Yeah, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you figure that out. Here's another one, uh, another bad translation. Uh, eating carpet, strictly prohibited. They may be trying to say eating food on the carpet is not allowed, but for those of you that struggle with eating carpet when you go to random places, you don't want to go there. They're, they're gonna, they're, you'll get in trouble. They will, they will take, take you out. Here's another one. Um, this, I thought this was great. English 102, grammar and writing. Grammar and writing. Some of you that graduated from that high school, you'll get that one later. Um, here's, here's one, here's another one. This, this one's really gonna get you in trouble. High maintenance chick salon. Husbands, shh. Don't say, don't say, don't say anything. Let me, let me help you. Um, and I thought this last one was especially um, relevant. toilet, the place of prayer. Now, I did ask you last week while we were fasting things to do without social media and to replace the time you would spend scrolling with time turning your pages or praying. How many of you know, I, if that's your thing, I'm just, I'm just saying that, that, might, that might be there um, to do that. A bad translation can really get us in trouble sometimes. How did we end up with all these different languages anyway? Scripture tells us, I'm going to show you something. Um, and then I think it'll help us uh, get where I want us to go today. Um, scripture actually tells us it was in Genesis chapter 11. We see the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, I'm gonna give you a quick overview, catch you up to this point. For those of you that may not know the story, the Bible starts with a history that begins with creation. God creates Adam and Eve. They get expelled from the garden. There's a fall. Sin enters into their lives. Even we see this through their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and then from then on, we just see this increasing corruption that starts to build throughout the narrative of the Old Testament. God comes and says, I'm going to destroy all of mankind and all of creation, save one family, Noah and his family. He builds the ark. God sends all the animals to them, and 40 days, 40 nights, it rains, and as things start to clear up, God tells Abraham, or Noah, the same thing that he told Adam and Eve. He said, multiply and fill the earth and so they did. They started, all of creation started from this one family after the flood. His descendants began to repopulate. Here's the story. Genesis number 11, chapter 11, numbers 1 through 9. This is short, shortly after that. He says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled 
there. And I thought it was interesting that the command that God gave Adam and Eve was to multiply and fill the earth to go out. And it was the same thing we see in Genesis chapter 9 that he tells Noah and his family. Yet somewhere along the way, they had settled. They were no longer choosing to go out. They were, they, were, they were settling. They had a mission, but they chose not to do it. And we see even here this tendency that man innately has to resist the very thing God wants for him in pursuit of convenience or comfort. And here's my question to you. Could a church suffer from the same problem? Could a church that was called to go make disciples actually make the same mistake? Is it possible that we can grow and become comfortable in here? and never really fulfill what God has for us out there. I think it is. I think it's possible for us to become settled and not obedient. Let's continue the story. Verse number three. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of of the whole earth. Again, for their needs, not for the missions. God's plan, God's plan was that they would be dispersed all over the earth, but they said, no, we're going to do it our way, and we're going to glorify ourselves. So here's what happens. Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are only one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Question, what happens when a group of people get in one place, resonate with one voice, and get focused on one mission? What does scripture tell us is impossible for them? Nothing. Nothing, we just sing about that. Anything is possible. Was this a unity problem that they had back in the day? Answer? No, it wasn't a unity problem. It was a a mission problem. It was how they chose to use it. They, They had no mission. Their mission was themselves. They had unity, but they chose to honor and glorify themselves as opposed to being on mission with that unity. You'll start to get what I'm saying here in just a minute. They had unity, but they had no mission. What do you think would happen if we had both unity and a mission and we decided to do that? See, the first time, God affects the language of man. Here's what we see in our story, verse seven. It says, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth. The first time we see God affect the language of people, they had unity but no mission. Let me show you the second time that he affects the language of people. See, the next time we hear of God changing the language, we have these people gathered together after Jesus died and was buried and resurrected and ascended to heaven. He said, go and wait in the upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna empower you and give you power when he does, and that's what we see. How does he send the Holy Spirit, though, is the question of our focus. I'll tell you how he does it. In what way does God send the Holy Spirit 
to the church, he affects their language. Here's what leadership experts will tell you. If you want to change the culture, you start by changing the language. The words you speak have power. All of creation came into existence because God spoke. And if you wanna see God do something in your life, the first thing you gotta do is just start speaking it. Just start speaking it. And so that's what I'm doing today. I'm gonna speak some things that I think God is doing and wants to do in here because I know that language changes culture. Here's that story in Acts chapter two, verse one through four. On the day of Pentecost, all the Lord's followers were together in one place. Suddenly there was a noise from heaven like the sound of a mighty wind. It filled the house where they were meeting. And then they saw what looked like fiery tongues moving in all directions. And a tongue came and settled on each person there. The Holy Spirit took control of everyone. And they began speaking whatever languages the Spirit let them speak. Verse 5. Many religious Jews from every country in the world were living in Jerusalem I'm going to change translations on you here. Verse 6 in the ESV says this. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. At this sound, the multitude came together. This sound is interesting in the Greek. It's, it's a Greek word, phone. It's the same thing we get phone from, but it really, it's, it's a voice. It's a sound. It's almost like a musical instrument resonating. Y'all say that word resonating with me. Isaac, come help me out. I'm going to show you something. Anybody know what this is? Can y'all see this? A tuning fork. Uh, I have in my hands a piece of steel that has been crafted and weighed and structured in a very specific way. Uh, I think I've got a picture of it I can show for those of you that are in the back. This is a tuning fork. And I have a friend, his name is Sam, and Sam is a pretty, very, is a, is a very talented individual. Sam, for a living, tunes pianos. Piano is a stringed instrument for those of you that don't know. And when there's humidity or, or temperature changes, the strings can tighten or loosen and it will send a piano out of tune. And this particular piece of steel, this tuning fork, is tuned to a certain frequency. Um, it's actually the letter A for those of you that are musical or 440 hertz. And when you strike this thing, you all hear that? It resonates in a very specific tone. And here's what I've seen Sam do, it's, it's phenomenal. Sam can take this tuning fork and strike it and he sets one note on that piano to resonate along with this frequency. And once he's done that, then he can tune the rest of the 88 keys, the 87 other keys to harmony and it plays this amazing on pitch thing just from this just from this one thing. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show you kind of what it's like if, you hear that? Isaac, play, play a G sharp, will you? Not, not quite. How about a, uh, let's say you got a B maybe? No, it's, it's not quite right. How about A? You, you know it when you hear it, don't you? Yeah, you it, there's just something unmistakable when something is resonating and when it starts to, to make a noise that matches. 
You, you, you know it when you hear it. Thank you, Isaac. I appreciate it. Here's what I want you to know and I want you to realize for those of you that are taking notes today, this is the first point uh, that I want to share with you. Unity resonates. Unity resonates. Just like a sound that is made when you strike this tuning fork, when believers set together on mission and start doing the things that God's called them to do, when they start sharing the gospel, they make a sound that resonates. You can hear it in the spirit. You, you can hear it in the spirit and, and you know it when you hear it. I was having a conversation just this week with a lady who came back to church and here's what she said. This was, this was her word. She said, Man, I, I, just, I came back because I knew I needed to be back in church. And, and let me tell you, y'all got it. Y'all got it. Y'all got it going. What was she saying? She said, something's resonating with me that happened when I walked into this place and I saw what you guys had been doing. Y'all were together. Y'all were on the same page. You had a mission and something resonated inside of me and I felt like I fit. And I'm so excited about what God is doing, she said. It, you, you know it when you hear it. Can I just tell you? It's you. It's you. You are resonating, church, on mission with what God has called you to do. There are people every week that are taking steps, joining groups, stepping out and doing things. How many of you stepped out and did something this week for prayer and fasting that you had never done before? You took a step just like I asked you to do. You're resonating. You're resonating, and that is making a difference. First thing I want you to know today is unity resonates. Here's the second thing. Unity attracts. It attracts. There's something about everybody being together on the same page that lets not only a resonation happen throughout everything, but it's attractive to people. It's attractive to people. I'll show you this, Acts 2.6. We just went through this previous verse. And at this sound, Scripture tells us, the multitude came together. At this sound, the multitude came together. There's something attractional about a people that can operate in unity. You don't see that often. You definitely don't see it on the news. You don't see it in your social media feed. But something can happen when you show up here. And I say, look around. Look around. You are surrounded by people who don't look like you. They don't dress the way you dress. They don't live the place you live. They live on the other side of town. They grew up in a family completely different from you. They watch a different news station. They read different books. Their family reunions look completely different. Their weddings and their funerals look completely different. Yet somehow God manages to take all of us together in one place under the banner of Jesus and gives us a single mission to go out and do something together. He's doing something, and I want you to know that unity resonates. It resonates not just in this place, it resonates in our community, and it's gonna resonate in the hearts and the lives of our people. And I think that there's something innate inside each of us that goes through life listening for that. And you just know it when you hear it. You walk in, you're like, ah. Oh. That's, that's it, that's what I've been waiting for. That's what I've been waiting for. And it's not a song that we sing. It's, it's not words that I speak. It's not the building. It's not the pew that you set. It's the people together in unity, on mission, accomplishing what God has for them. I'm telling you, unity not only resonates, it attracts. Here's the third thing 
I want you to know unity also empowers. Unity empowers. Isaac, you can help me close. The whole purpose of the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the empowerment of believers to be able to make disciples with boldness and power. That's why the Holy Spirit came to do that. God wanted to take that unity and let it resonate outward. It's okay, Pastor Don, why, why is this important? Why is it so important to you that we operate in unity? Why is it so important to you, Pastor Don, that we move in one accord, that we become disciples and fulfill the Great Commission? Why is it so important? I'm tired of hearing you say the word unity, Pastor Don. If you say the word unity one more time, I'm going to leave here thinking unity. I'm going to be eating my meal trying to figure out what that person ordered next to me because I want unity. And if you say unity one more time in this sentence, Pastor Don, why is that? Let me tell you why. Because there is still pride, poverty, and prejudice out there in Acadiana. That's why. There are still those who misuse and abuse their authority. They turn a blind eye to the needs of others and they worry about themselves. They're they're building their own little tower in their own life, completely oblivious to what's going on around them. That still happens. There's, there's still a gap that exists between those who have and those who have not. That's why unity is important. There's still a very real and tangible label that is often placed on people because of their skin color and no other reason. That's why unity is important. That's why this mission is important. That's why the Holy Spirit came to empower you with boldness to go out and make a difference. Tomorrow, We're celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Man, you want to talk about, he too had a message that resonated, did he not? Man, and it resonated. He spoke to something so deep inside of man. Let me tell you, it wasn't new to him. It was always there because God put it there. He just spoke it and something started to happen. Something started to resonate in his words and people started to realize, They knew it when they heard it, and they said, the way we've been living is not right. This is the way we're supposed to be living. And what did it do? It attracted. That unity started to resonate. That unity started to attract. And that unity started to empower people to do things and say things and speak things and go against the grain because they knew God had given them a mission. Interestingly enough, Tomorrow is the only national holiday that is, that is legally designated a day of service, not just a day off of work. How appropriate is that? Don't go home and just think about Martin Luther King. Go out tomorrow and do something about it. Go do something about it. It's a day of service. Here's what I need you to understand, and please don't miss this. Pride poverty and prejudice aren't three separate issues. They're they're three related issues. You you, you don't just defeat those by saying, this week we're going to work on pride. Next week we're going to work on poverty. And then the week after that, we're going to get to prejudice. It doesn't happen that way, folks. Those three issues are related together. There are three little demons running around here wreaking all kind of havoc with what God wants to do in Acadiana and in your homes and in our lives. Let me tell you, this is how it works. When I think more highly of myself than I ought to, it causes me to look down on others. 
when I look down on others for no reason other than how I think about myself, then I'm less likely to be generous and to share what I have or to help. And when I'm not generous, there starts to be a deficit that other people can't overcome. And when there's a deficit that other people can't overcome, they start to avoid me and I start to avoid them. And when I avoid people that I'm not like, it causes me to have opinions about them that aren't grounded in truth. You see what I'm saying? And when I have opinions about people that aren't grounded in truth, it causes me to think differently about them than I do myself. And when I think differently about myself than I do about you, I can't be humble toward you. I can only be prideful about me. These issues are related. Pride can cause poverty. Poverty can cause prejudice. Prejudice can cause pride. It's a vicious cycle that must be defeated if we're going to see God do what he wants to do in Acadiana. And not one at a time. All three at once. Anything is possible. Here's the power of the gospel. The gospel, as many of you know, is good news. But it's not just the good news of how I'm saved. Sometimes we, we, we're in church a long time and we think, oh, well, the gospel is just how you become born again. It is so much more than that. The gospel is so much more than just how I'm born again and where I'm going to spend my eternity. The gospel is this. All of humanity is accountable to God. All of humanity is accountable to God. Our problem is that we've rebelled against God. And our solution, or the solution to our rebellion, is the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can all be included in this solution by, through salvation by faith alone. That's the gospel. That we're all on the same page. We're all in the same book. We've all got the same problem. The gospel isn't about you. The gospel's about us. It's about us. Think about this. Follow me. When I understand my desperate condition apart from Jesus and that I'm no better than anyone else, it causes me to think differently. It causes me to humbly think about myself and think about others. And when I discover that Jesus not only died for me, but also died for you, it causes me to think more highly of you and less of me. My Jesus died for you. My Jesus died for you. And when I start to think less of me, guess what happens? I start to become more generous. I start to share with my things because I now know my greatest treasure cannot be taken from me. I get to share with you out of the abundance I have and never be without because my Jesus died for me the same way he died for you. And when I share with you, guess what it does? It brings us closer. And when we get closer, I start to understand you and you start to understand me. And when we understand each other, we start to see that we have way more in common than the differences that appear through the color of our skin. I'm not done. When we approach each other on the basis of our likeness and not our, dis our differences, guess what happened? Unity resonates. 
and other people start to find the very thing that they've been looking for their whole lives because that gift was freely given to me. We have no problem freely telling and sharing that with everybody else. And guess what happens? It starts this amazing cycle. And that's the mission that God has for our church. And if you don't like it, guess what? There are a lot of great churches in our area. But this church, what God has called us to do is to tear down pride, poverty, and prejudice. And I'm just telling you, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we're not going to just do it once. We're not going to just do it this week and then worry about the next one the next week. And then but we're going to do it all at the same time. Because if you're struggling with just one of these newsflash for you, church, you're probably struggling with all three. You're probably struggling with all three. Here's what I want you to know. Pride promotes poverty. Poverty promotes prejudice. Prejudice promotes more pride. But if that's true, how many of you know that it is? Let me show you what else is true. Humility promotes generosity. Generosity promotes unity. And unity promotes more humility. And that unity not only resonates in heaven, it resonates on earth. This tuning fork. And if you can hear how unity resonates, you can tune the rest of your life to be in harmony with God's plan for how to become a disciple. I talk to people all the time that struggle. They, they, they struggle in life because they're, they're trying to, to get right with God. They're trying, to be, they're trying to get good this way. And they think that somehow if I'm good this way, then this way doesn't matter. Look at me. This way matters so much to how this way works. The quality of your life, your life with Jesus vertically will impact the quality of your life horizontally with everybody else. And the quality of your life horizontally with everybody else will impact you vertically and your relationship with Jesus. We're on a mission. We're on a mission to reach people and to build lives. And I want to tell you, it would be so cruel of me to stand up here today and tell you everything we're going to do and then not tell you how you can be a part of it. That'd be mean. But if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Don, there's something that's resonating inside of me when I hear you speak about this, I know I'm supposed to be a part. What do I do? How do I do it? You've got some next steps to take, and I want to share with you what those are. Please don't just come to church and sit there and hear a good message and have this unity resonate with you and not do anything about it. Remember, unity doesn't just resonate. It doesn't just attract you. It empowers you to go and do the thing that God has called you to do. Pastor John, what do I do? How do, how do I do that? There's, there's, there's one of you and so many of us. How, listen, grab that same blue Get Connected card. There's a box on there that says, I'm going to take my next steps. Many of those steps are there. Our team will reach out and talk to you. We'll have a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. We will talk about your spiritual journey, what God has done in your life and continues to do. And I promise you, there's a next step for you to take. For some of you, it might be to surrender your life to Jesus, to be born again, 
to fully trust him, not to trust yourself. You're tired of building your own tower. You want to be on his mission to do that. Some of you, you may have been born again, but you haven't been obedient with water baptism. That might be your next step. Maybe your next step is to get your hands off of yourself and onto something else to serve. Or maybe your next step is simply just to connect, to get in a group, to find some others so that you can have a me too moment. I wouldn't be the pastor to you that I want to be if I didn't give you an opportunity to do that, if I didn't tell you you can take next steps or there are things along the spiritual journey that God wants to do to put you on mission. Don't just stay in the pew. I'll show you another verse in scripture where we see things resonating in Christianity. This is John chapter 10, verse 27. These are the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they do what? This verse doesn't say my sheep hear my voice and I know about them and they don't follow me. It says they hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. His sheep hear his voice and he knows them and they follow him. Doesn't say they come to church. Doesn't say they gather together and listen to podcasts and watch online. It says they follow him. Jesus said his sheep, his disciples, have three distinctions. Here they are. They hear his voice. He knows them and they follow him. I'm going to ask you a question as everybody bows their head and close their eyes. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Do you know if you died today, the first face you would see would be Jesus welcoming you into heaven? Do you have that certainty? Do you have that peace? Man, I wish I could share with you my joy. I wish I could give you my peace, the certainty I have. It comes through Jesus. The first step is to be born again. Listen, this isn't about a decision to trust Jesus with your life after death. This is about being a disciple and trusting Jesus with your life before death. But you don't get to trust Jesus after death if you haven't trusted him before death. We prayed for you this morning, knowing that God had an appointment and that you'd be here today and that something would resonate with you. You may be sitting here as I'm, as I'm, as I'm talking to you and as we're, as we're praying and you're saying, God, my chest is just beating out of my chest. Is he really talking to me? Am I going to do this? Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to take that step? I'm going to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer. 
The prayer is not what makes you born again. The prayer is just what acknowledges that God's done in your heart, in your mind. Jesus is talking to a religious leader in John chapter 3, and he says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And if what I've shared today has been resonating with you, and listen, you know it when you hear it. Right there where you're sitting, everybody, eyes are closed and heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to help you. There you say, Pastor Don, would you, would you pray with me? I want to ask you to raise your hand right there where you're at. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand up in the balcony. Anybody else before we pray? God's resonating something inside of you. You ready to be on mission? One more time and then we'll pray. If that's you, I don't want to miss anybody today. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Here's what we're going to do, church. I'm going to lead us in this prayer. And for those who raise their hand, they're going to pray. But I'm going to ask everybody to pray with us. Symbolic of the fact that nobody does Christianity alone. We're going to do this together. God, put us in this together. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who raise their hand today?